Welcome to episode 52 of Reeducating Dad, the cross-generational talk show. Uh, we, are, we have an interesting topic to discuss today. Last episode, we discussed seaspiracy, and we had a great response, didn't we, Little Tone? We sure did. Really, really interesting feedback um, on that. Uh, nearly everyone was uh, in favor of stopping eating fish and destroying the oceans, which was a good thing. Uh, we still have no grandson, Ben, because he's away doing his uh, A-levels. Uh, so we hope to see him back on the show uh, soon. But uh, have you been little tone before I get into the topic? Uh, still on my long COVID journey. Emphasis on long. <laughs> yeah, still not feeling great, to be honest. But, you know, well, you're looking it good. is what it is. You're looking very good. Particularly your eyebrows. Thanks. I feel, I feel terrible. <laughs> Dad's fascinated by the fact that women change their eyebrow color when they change their hair color. Um, yeah, I've got oral thrush at the moment, which is horrible, which is from taking antibiotics. So that's like really not very nice. So I'm now on like an antifungal throat medicine, which makes me feel really sick. So another reason not to get COVID. Yeah, you've had a lot of lot of health problems haven't you with that covid stuff yeah i sure have been very unlucky anyway uh last night was a good night um as i was getting ready to retire for the night uh late last night uh and it pinged up on my phone i think that uh that there was a verdict in the chauvin trial uh we discussed this topic uh, about the killing of George Floyd. Uh, must have been about a year ago, because that's, I think, when it happened. Um, we, and we, uh, we had a good conversation about that. I think we were both on the same page. Um, and now we came to the trial. It's been a fascinating trial of the police officer in Minneapolis, who, uh, of course, was charged with the uh, second and third degree murder and manslaughter of George Floyd. Um, I'm sure everybody knows pretty much the details. Uh, you'd have to be hiding under a rock not to have, uh, be quite familiar with this case, I think, um, you know, of the police officer uh, pinning uh, George Floyd down to the road with his knee on his neck with the man george floyd pleading for him to be allowed to breathe and we all know the outcome of that so did you watch the verdict little tone i did yeah i mean when the moment you said that you know the jury had come to a conclusion i turned it on and followed it and yeah i found it very moving um i mean i don't really think that they could have done anything else really um i think had they gone with gone for another option if they had the jury found him not guilty of manslaughter and first second degree so if he'd been found guilty of just third degree i think that there would have been writing like everywhere well certainly if he had not been found guilty i think there would have been a, yeah. a lot of trouble we can come on. I there's, think they've had to had to make an example of him. Yeah, so I, there's quite an interesting 
um, side story to that, which we can come to a bit later on. Um, but uh, not everybody's happy. Um, you know, quite a few of the right-wing commentators, uh, Ben Shapiro particularly is a, one such person um, who uh, doesn't believe that he was uh, that, that enough consideration was given to reasonable doubt. Um, I just don't really get that because I don't, you know, here you had a video of the actual killing taking place in front of your eyes with people shouting for him, this officer, to get uh, to get off, uh, to stop um, effectively killing George Floyd, and he just ignored it. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think his defense, I don't know if you saw any of the trial, did you, Little Town? Not really, no. I found it quite upsetting, to be honest. So I saw no, a lot of, I disconnected. A lot of, I saw a lot of the trial. I found an actually fascinating lawyer from Arizona, where you and I like to go, um, actually from the sort of Camelback area, where exactly where we used to go in Scottsdale, um, who, uh, who did a daily blow-by-blow -blow summary of the trial, which, was, which is much more interesting than just watching the trial itself, because watching a trial can be a bit like watching paint dry. Everything moves so slowly, uh, but he um, he brought it all together. He explained everything that was going on. He did a really good job. He also, uh, being a defence lawyer, is is talking a lot about um, Chauvin not really getting the full benefit of uh, you know the, the presumption of innocence and the reasonable doubt. But I think what they're really talking about is beyond all shadow of a doubt, which is not what the law is about. And I think if you apply common sense and you're looking at a video of a man actually doing the killing with his hands in his pockets while people are shouting at him to get off the victim, I mean, I really don't see what his lawyer could have done. I think his lawyer, his defense lawyer, was a very good guy, a guy called Eric Nelson, I believe. I think he was good. I think he did his absolute best for him. But I don't know what he could have done differently. In fact, if I was to criticize anything that Nelson did, it was that in his closing argument, he kept showing the video. I thought, mm. why, why are you doing that? I mean, because although he was trying to point out things in the video that sort of appeared to be, you know, capable of being bringing about some kind of reasonable doubt, all the time, all you could hear was the, you know, well, all you could see is the image of this callous officer on top of this guy um, with his hands in his pockets. I mean, it was such a bad look. Mm, I mean, why would that be a, a move for restraining someone anyway to put a neck on someone, to put your knee on someone's neck? That shouldn't be, you know, because they're taught how to deal with conflict, aren't they? So that's why the hands go Very behind, much. you know, the back. And that's why people are placed on the pavement in the first place, you know, so that they can't move with their head to one side. I'm pretty sure that there's no training on putting your knee on someone's neck. So well, that to me in itself seems like quite a strange move. Well, I've done some conflict training with my security team, you know, because we do deal with a lot of conflict in, the, in a nightclub, you know, you get people that get drunk and, you know, start acting rowdy and start fighting and stuff like that. Uh, I've never heard of that being a move that people are supposed to use. But I mean, re regardless of this one situation, 
the police in the in the US seem to be really trigger happy as well, like with their guns. Um, I mean, we had this amazing news uh, yesterday, which doesn't really feel like justice because George Floyd is still dead. It feel, feels like accountability. Um, but only yesterday or the day before, a 16-year-old woman of colour was, was shot down, you know? And it's just like... It does show some some sort of symbol of hope, you know, that a white police officer was charged for the first time in that state. And, char and, char and charged with a great deal of enthusiasm. I mean, the, the prosecution really put up a... It wasn't a sort of going through the motions. It was a really savage prosecution. Uh, you know, they, they wheeled in all the big guns the chief of police mm. from the area. Um, you know, I mean, it was really, really uh, comprehensive. Um, so I think that that is a good sign. However, I do, I do see that um, the US Justice Department has today announced they're going to do a very far-reaching um, inquiry into the practices of the Minnesota police. I don't know if you caught that bit of news. No, I didn't. No, uh, but that's a good that sign. Good to me. Yeah, that's that, mm. that that's a very good sign. Um, but uh, you know, I just uh, there was no amount of legal maneuvering to my mind that was going to obscure the truth in that video. You know, as the prosecution said in their closing arguments, you, you to the jurors, you can believe your eyes, and you should believe your eyes. So there was all this talk about it might have been carbon monoxide coming out the exhaust of the i mean of the squad car i mean you know there was no evidence of that i mean i don't even think it was running i mean um so it's clutching at straws aren't they clutching at straws is i think exactly exactly right um i think one thing that we can say is thank goodness for video because i don't think anything would have happened had there not actually been video well they and had 40 witnesses as well they yeah, went through but, 40 but, witnesses but that's not the same is it hearing what somebody's people have prejudices uh whether you know whether it be against the police or for the police true people true, have, but i mean but you can't argue with somebody you know this video was so compelling and not only yeah. what, you know not not only uh the video taken by the bystanders who were trying to get him to stop but the body cams of the police officers themselves, you know, they Which had... they sometimes turn off. So it's lucky that that existed as well, because there's lots of cases where video footage has been, t the body cams have been turned off yeah. when something's happened, when there's been conflict. So they had, they were able, what was really good is because they had all these videos, the public ones um, and the police ones, they were able to synchronize them and show a scene from different angles at the same time in real time, as it were. Wow. Which was, you know, it was very, very well presented. The, the, the evidence in the trial was very, very, very well presented. But there was no way that the defense were going to be able to, you know, get around that video. And in fact, they kept showing it, uh, which just my, made my mind boggle, really. But, you know, one wonders... One wonders 
how many black people he had abused before when there were no videos running? Well, I think that this doesn't show, just show evidence about one police officer. I think that this shows evidence for a culture, a cultural problem within the police force with their attitude towards people of color. And that's where I think we need to keep going back to this. It's, it's not just one bad egg. It isn't. No, it's you not. Know, he, was part, he was part of a team and, you know, this really has to be the start of some positive change. Um, so I think that, you know, when we were discussing it last night, it felt like such a relief, such an exhale. Like you could feel the whole community just kind of go, oh, thank God. Because it's like every time something's happened with Trump, everyone's like, that's ridiculous. He's, he's never going to get out of being impeached or something like that. And then it turns out that he gets out of it. And you're just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> How is this happening? This is insane. Um, and with this situation, I think that there was so much concern that this was going to be yet another thing that was brushed under the carpet. Um, so that, that relief, that, um, you know, justice that had happened and um, that for once people of color felt heard about the racial discrimination they'd been experiencing at the hands of the police for such a long time now. How would you answer the question, was he, is he, is he racist or is he just a bad cop? Well, I think being racist makes you a bad cop. I agree with that, but it could, but, you know, he has been pulled up for um, being overbearing with white people too, white youths. Well, I think that he's clearly a bad person. <laughs> yeah. You know, anyone that abuses their power is a bad person. You know, these mm. people are supposed to be here to protect the public. They're supposed to be here to pr protect, you know, human life or whatever. And if they're using their power to assert their authority, which is what it felt like watching that video, he, he was like, I don't, I don't care. I've got my hands on my pocket. I don't even care that you're shouting at me. I'm a cop. I can do whatever I want. Plus, I don't even care that you're filming me. That's how confident yeah. he felt because he knew he was being filmed. Yeah, I mean, that just... Um, makes me feel really concerned um really but i don't point. think i don't think that that behavior is uh the behavior of an individual i think that is you know that kind of like arrogance that confidence that you he's not going to be reprimanded for his behavior i think that is a um that is a systemic issue yes it's certainly indicative positions of positions of authority and I'm talking all, all positions of authority. So even like I just gave you the example of working with security in a nightclub. We, you know, you have to be so careful because when someone has a badge and they're in a position where they can physically throw someone on the floor and say that they were acting, you know, irrationally or violently or whatever, um, it's, it's a real problem because people just absolutely love having the um yeah the ability sorry if you can hear tom <laughs> sorry, what's he doing tom's recording upstairs and i can hear him shouting like oh. he's recording he, he's doing a charity live stream <laughs> and oh, i can okay. just hear him going 
blur, blur. <laughs> Sorry. So there's, there's, more um, than one performance. there's more than one performance going on in your house then at one time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that in all positions of authority, there is the concern that someone is going to abuse it. And I, and I think that um, when it comes to the police... keep quiet Tom (laughs) yeah when it comes to the police there has to be a really grueling process for interviewing people that don't have that are mentally stable because I think it's really tricky but I think that it's actually a very very difficult job to do um you know I'm I'm very um I care a lot about people's safety and equality and stuff like that, but I'm too emotionally fueled to be able to do a job like that and just follow processes and just treat everyone with respect, uh, even baddies, you know, I, and I, I just think that the problem is, is a lot of the time these types of people are being employed and they're under loads of pressure. They're working, you know, their, their body clocks messed up because they're working shift works. They're working through the night and then they're working in the morning. They're not eating properly. They're not seeing their family, you know, and this is not an excuse, by the way, I'm just saying that I feel like there's been, there must've been this desperate need to just employ police officers. And I think that they're getting a lot of people that are not emotionally sound under the pressure. And, um, and then when you've got this kind of perpetuating of uh, racism or, you know, of uh, abusing authority um, be- because they can get away with it, that's even worse. It's such, such a bad combination of like people that are not emotionally fit to do the job in the first place and then being handed this power that they don't know what to do with it. You make a really good point. And it's interesting that you should have made the, uh, drawn the analogy as you did a few moments ago about the nightclub thing. The reason I say that is because when I was looking into his background, it seems that he was a security guard himself at a mm. nightclub, a bouncer, I guess you'd say, at a nightclub. Yeah. And uh, his employer came out, his, his previous employer came out, as I understand it, and made a comment to the effect that he treated black people at the club really overbearingly. He would spray them with pepper spray, and it was very excessive, he said, very excessive um, treatment. Uh, Mm. So there's, there's a history here. The other thing to say is that there were at least 18 18 previous complaints about him. Mm. Um, and I, I think and that says a lot about the the structure of uh, management above him as well. The it fact does. that they've had that many that many complaints, and he was still in a position of power where he was able to put his knee down on someone's neck. But I mean, this is um, you do find quite often that either ex police officers go into working into security, not just like club night security, any kind of security, or the other way around, they go from security to working in police. And the problem with working a security job, especially if it's private security, it's not monitored. You know, there's, mm. there, there's no monitoring. And, you know, um, I won't say the name, but I used to work in a nightclub, like a student nightclub. Mm. And our security team knew where the CCTV were. So if someone ticked them off, they'd take them around the corner and beat them up. 
and then lift them up and be like, all right, come on, mate, time to go home after beating them up, you know? And yeah. it was awful, really awful. And it was seen as totally normal. And so anyway, to go back to the, uh, the subject, I think there's a, there is a really big problem there with um, mental health and authority. And I guess it's probably quite similar to the NHS, not with the authority part of it, but in terms of the shift work that they're given, you know, the bad sort of like shift work, um, the really emotionally fueled situations where they're under pressure all the time, you're not able to go home, you know, and, and that there isn't the, the right support network around them to ensure that they are emotionally stable to do the job because we are operating all the time on such small budgets. Um, I don't know why that is. I don't know why we don't allocate more money towards um, public services, but had he had the right support around him, I don't think that he would have lasted two minutes as a police officer. What do you mean by that? I haven't understood that. Well, because um, well, because someone would have picked, like, if they had a good HR department, someone would have picked up on the complaints and been like, I'm not sure that this guy's fit to be out in public serving the police force. Yeah, if they the had an effective complaints procedure, it seems to me that complaints were trivialised. Um, you know. the, the, what I'm saying is the whole system, it's not just about one bad cog, it's the whole system's bad. Sure. Because, you know, when you, when you find out that there there's been 15 complaints before, that, that highlights the issues around him, not just him. It's the, the person who's above him. It's the HR department. It's, you know, it's the, um, I, I, I'm not sure if it's the same in the, um, in the US, but they're supposed to have access to, uh, to uh, counsellors, you know, for going through really, you know, uh, traumatic experiences and stuff like that. People, and those people are supposed to check in with um, police officers regularly, make sure that everything's okay. You know, it, it, it just highlights a much bigger problem to me um, than just him being a bad egg. Um, and why didn't his teammates do anything? How many no, other officers were there? there? So, of course, in the background here, we have three other officers who are... Uh, who are being charged or have been charged. I, th I believe they're incarcerated, awaiting trial. Right. They, they didn't want, I think they wanted to find out the outcome of, they, they being the prosecution, wanted to get this one done first because now mm. it's a lot easier it's to prosecute. Serious. A lot easier to pr prosecute the others now. But uh, the, the one that sticks in my mind is the, um, is Tao, I think his name was, because he was the one, do you remember the videos? He was sort of standing there with his hands on his hips, sort of, you know, looking at the, cr the crowd who were saying, get off, you know, what are you doing? You know, you, you're a bum man, even all that sort of thing that was being shouted at Chauvin. Uh, do you remember that? There was a, there was a, there was a I'm just looking. police officer standing there, um, sort of Oriental Asian looking, Very triggering, isn't Asian looking it? gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. I can quite, see him. Yeah. Look quite short. He may not be short, but he, and he was just standing, right? Yes, and he and and I believe he was sometimes threatening the crowd with mace or you know whatever pepper spray or whatever they used, um, mm. or threatening to get it out. Um, so I, it, you know, he did, he also it just did not it was not a good look at all. Uh, and I'm sure that those three police officers are going to, um, you know, are going to find. I mean, they, they won't get anything like the punishment that uh, Chauvin's going to get, I'm sure, but, but they will be punished. And they've been sacked. 
all of them have been shown. Yeah. Well, they, I, I'd imagine that they'll probably get third degree, won't they? I, I doubt. I doubt it. But I, you know what, you might be right. But they were. Com- I don't know. I mean, they were complicit in it by, you know, the other the other two had him restrained as well. Yeah. And you know the the human thing to do would would have been for the other two to have been like, you're preventing him from breathing. This yeah. this this member of the public is now not safe because of us rather yeah. than the other way around. What I just don't know is what the hierarchical situation is there. I mean, he might have a Nuremberg yeah. defense, you know, saying I was, uh, they might have a Nuremberg defense of saying, you know, I, I, we were following orders. Uh, they could have that. I don't know. Um, but I mean, so surely threatening people with mace is not in the interest of public safety either. It would depend on the I mean, context, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, it's the defence tried to make out that this was some kind of, you know, really threatening mob. Didn't come across to me at all that way on the videos. They, they, they seemed to me to be very concerned. They would, I, I, they didn't, didn't look threatening to me at all. But there are situations where, where mobs can be, I'm sure, very. But this threatening. is, but, but this is what I'm saying. It's, it's when you're a good police police officer you're able to read the room better aren't you you're able to tell when you know the situation is unsafe and people are at threat and when they're not and in that situation i mean i've seen the video lots of times but they've all got their their phones up they're all you know yeah. filming and they're all saying you're he's can't breathe he can't breathe yeah. it's not a no one's like thrashing around erratically. No one's got a weapon or anything like that. No, even, so. the, even the guy who spoke the most was just saying things like, you know, what are you doing, man? You're a bum man. You know, you're, uh, he was, he wasn't really threatening in it, in it, in any sense. Um, but he was saying some pretty, you know, he was saying some pretty harsh things you could say, but you know, I, I mean, Chauvin didn't look in the slightest bit bothered or phased by it. Did he? No. Um, and that says to me that he's like a psychopath. It, it, you know, that behavior f- feels like a psychopath. It's the fact that he's completely expressionless while he's literally taking away someone's last breath. I mean, it's frightening, really. It's chilling. There will, of course, be an appeal. Will uh, there? Definitely. The, the defense will definitely appeal. Um, what have they got to lose? Uh, they're going to appeal. Uh, but there is one side, of, one aspect of this which I am concerned about, and that is, uh, you may have heard of this, one of the representatives, you know, equivalent of an MP, um, Representative Waters, I believe her name is, came out the night, you know, the, 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 I think it was act, might have actually been yesterday, obviously before the verdict, or it might have been the day before, but she said, she sort of made this public utterance that, uh, you know, if if the if if the, if it isn't a guilty verdict, um, you know, the crowd should get, people could should get out there and um, you know get um, active, and it sounded very much like she was inciting riots. Um, well, that's what I said at the beginning of the podcast, isn't it? I said that I think that if that had happened this is why i said they i think they need to give him the harshest punishment possible he has to be an example 
has to be made an example no, of because otherwise point, yeah no you're quite it. you're quite right but my point is that his defense lawyer had, went into court and went before the judge and said how can this guy now have a fair trial how can this be a fair trial when this representative this prominent politician has gone out and said you better you know effectively saying to the jury if you don't do the right thing you know there's going to be trouble um, and I am concerned about that. That was totally a stupid thing for her to do. It was the wrong thing to do. And as the judge said back, he wasn't going to stop the trial, the judge. Very good judge, I thought. Very, very good. Um, but he I said... Don't, I mean, I didn't hear it. It doesn't sound like inciting violence to me. Well, uh, it's worth looking it up because it, it was bad. And, and this will in illustrate to you how bad it was. The judge actually said back to the defense attorney, I accept, Mr. Nelson, that you probably have a good point on appeal here that might lead to this whole trial being overturned. Oh, she said, so Waters calls for protesters to get more confrontational if no guilty verdict is reached. Right. Um, so, you know, the very fact that the judge could say that this whole, this whole result could be, well, not that he knew the result at that point, but the whole, this whole trial could be you know, you have an appeal point here, it could be overturned. That just goes to show what a stupid thing that woman did. Why didn't she just keep her mouth shut and let justice, you know, play out? Because, uh, because, Dad, history... Ha she's... Something, something started playing. History has shown that every single time people, you know people of color have tried to stand up against the police in the most civil and um, appropriate way, um, they've been let down time and time again. This is the first time that something like this has happened in their favor, in the favor yes, of, of equality. I, I and actually, I'm not finished. And actually, rioting does achieve progress. And I'm not someone that wants to stand on the treat, streets and get confrontational and push people around and smash things up. But there is evidence that it does actually achieve progress. You have to have people that are reasonable and, and talking and, you know, um, I think they kind of go hand in hand. You have to have the rioters and you have to have the peaceful protesters. You have to have the people that are, reason, uh, you know, being reasonable. I'm not. And I'm, that's. Can I say something now? It, yeah. I'm not arguing with anything that you're saying. The only point that I'm making is her timing was terrible because if, because you shouldn't put, you shouldn't try and put pressure on a jury, you know, that are oh, yeah, that, I agree with you. See? And, and what she yeah. has done is she's served up an appeal point, Tony, she's served it, yeah. served up on a plate, an appeal point to the defense, which well, I'm might sure, I'm involve. sure that she regrets that. <laughs> I hope you know so. I, mean? I hope she's learned but, but this the is lesson. What I'm, but this That's is what stupid. I'm saying. Yeah, but she's, Dad, Dad, she's human. Yeah. And when emotions are involved, human error happens. And this is why I'm saying you have to be someone who is emotionally stable to do jobs like this. And I can imagine that being a woman of color and seeing that traumatic video over and over and over again is going to bring up some uh, traumatic experiences for you. So I can only imagine that she is reacting out of her own trauma. Good, good and, point. Good point. And I, I just the same with people that are working in, you know, as as barristers or whatever. They have to be emotionally sound. 
And it is, it is almost impossible to do that. Good. So, F- finally, finally, if you were the judge, what do you think would be a just sentence? Oh, life. Absolutely, life. That guy should never come out. Never come out. Okay. No, I, unfortunately for me, I don't think that it's a, a hard enough existence in prison for someone who, who took another life away. You know, um, I, I think that that there isn't there isn't ever going to be a just uh, result for what he did because a man lost his life. So it looks to me, I think, based on a little bit of research, that the likely sentence is going to fall in somewhere in the region. 20 to 25 years i think probably um i think he'll get 30 <clears throat> okay i think the maximum would be 40 from what i've read uh, yeah but we'll, i saw that but we'll see so we've come to the end of our time so that was very interesting discussion so thank you very much for p- participating dear listeners thank you for being for listening to us and we'd love to hear what you think about the result of the derek chauvin a trial. Um, uh, I know that there are differing views on this, uh, so uh, it would be very interesting to hear other perspectives. So do get in touch in the usual ways. We do. We have also started uh, posting videos on YouTube of us recording these episodes. They come out a little bit after the audio version, um, but if you like the video experience as well, uh, so that when I'm talking about Little Tone's eyebrows. You can see what I'm actually talking about. I knew about. you were going to say that. <laughs> then uh, please head over there. We, 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 we've only just launched it, so it sort of kind of needs a little love, a little attention, and um, things that you're supposed to do, like subscribe and like and share and whatever, all these things. So uh, thanks again, everyone, and we will see you next time. So until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye, everyone. See you next time. 